we all feel better. I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And we're back here again with another episode of Better in the Dark. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it. They break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years. Got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for our benefit. Go watch a Halloween look time rather fit. So from Marvel at the movies to the Bond series. Almost two years they bout to hit 50. Episodes that is don't get it twisted. And from the start these two have been gifted. Tom Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. We make some movies that don't need your name. Watch out studios, it won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn inside of Jay-Z. My name's B. Hyper and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. My name's Bob. James Bob. You remember, right? What's that? Oh, that's the same thing. That's right. Oh, okay. That's the thing from the same. Right. Which is significant, folks. Extremely significant for this episode of Better in the Dark, in which my good friend, Thomas DJ, and my good friend, Derek Ferguson, continue our analysis of the James Bond series. And we're now firmly in the 70s. Tom, home slash whistle whatever the same theme at the beginning because it was time for a new James, a new James Bond, Bond because Sean Connery after Diamonds Are Forever right. he again left the film series this time he said I will never, never play James, James Bond, Bond again I, again Which words they, that will come back to haunt him <laughs> later on in life four episodes time <laughs> in about four episodes it's going to come back to haunt him <laughs> yeah so stick around so, once again, the search had started. Yeah, worldwide search for a new James Bond. John Gavin apparently was not up for it, though, this time. Yeah. Because he was originally signed to be the Bond for Diamonds Are Forever. I actually heard they considered people like Burt Reynolds, mm-hmm. Lee Marvin. Those would have been odd choices. Yeah. But they ended up going to a person who they had actually approached twice before, who actually turned out to be a friend of Sean Connery. Sean Connery Connery himself Mm -hmm. recommended him and said, why don't you try Roger again? He was supposedly tapped to be Bond before Lazenby. He himself said that he was too young. We're talking, of course, folks, about Roger Roger Moore, Moore. who most people will remember from The Saint. Mm. Well, uh, we're going to get into that later on, but personally, it's a role I felt was more suited to his strengths. Persuaders. Uh, a wonderful series he did with Tony Curtis where they played millionaire adventurers right. uh, that were blackmailed into becoming... Which had a, remember the, the theme song? But then again, I'm a big fan oh, of it was a British bubblegum pop of that era, but uh-huh. that's a great theme that song. That theme song was bad. By Tony Christie. And then they had have the cards, they had the mm-hmm. silhouettes. That's a show that I'm surprised Supposedly nobody... Supposedly they're nobody remaking, had, they're doing it as a motion picture. Yeah, oh, they should do it as a TV show. Yeah. Because it was, I mean, both of them played millionaires. Uh, Tony Curtis was a guy from the streets, came right. up the hard way. Roger Moore's character was the upper crust mm-hmm. British guy. And they were blackmailed by a judge into working for him and going after criminals that the law could tell. Kind of like Hart right. Castle and McCormick mm-hmm. ten years later. And then it had that weird kind of Avengers-y stuff because you had the episode with the toy tanks and stuff. Yeah. Assassinating people. Uh-huh. And it was all filmed in Europe. Right. Which I love because five movies that are set in Europe mm-hmm. have a completely different yeah. vibe 
from when they're set in America or, or any place like that. As we're about to learn, because we have one film that's set primarily in America, and the next film is set in a very exotic location. True that, true that. But getting back to the subject we're talking about, Roger Moore was tapped amid a whole hoopla yeah. of media frenzy to be the new James Bond. Right. He came up to bat with... Uh, this is an unusual film for a number of reasons. A film called Live and Let Die. The, Enlighten us, Tom. It was the first film that was without John Barry. Ooh. It's very unique in that George Martin, producer of The Beatles, produced the soundtrack. And it's a very... Really? I did not know that. That's one of the reasons why Paul McCartney and Wings... I think that might have been one of their first singles. Yeah. Did I the think, theme yeah. song. And that's one of the most memorable... So, As a matter of fact, I was listening on XM Satellite Radio this morning. And I said, now, if that's not serendipity, mm-hmm. I don't know what. One of the stations I listened to played the theme from Living and I Die. And it was one of the higher charting Bond themes of all time. It yeah. went to number two and was actually nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. This is like another case where the movie series is going far, far away from the book. The book, for those of you who haven't read it, and I know my James Bond books mm-hmm. backward and forward, he does go to Harlem in the book right. to fight a Harlem gangster called Mr. Big, right. who is running a drug... Pu- well, I think know. he's also he's described in the book as having a kind of grayish... Because he's not entirely he's got like bo- a, a, black, he's got mm-hmm. some other kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's also working for Smurf to bring in drugs into the country mm-hmm. to weaken the American youth. It's part of Smurf's backdoor plan to weaken yeah. America, because they figure, well, if we make them drug addicts while they're kids, they won't be soldiers to fight them. I mean, I'll say is their variation on this plan in the movie is even better. It, it is. is, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we? But so we had a couple of interesting choices that Roccoli and Saltzman went after for the villains. Play the Bond girl. They originally reached out to Diana Ross. Yeah, yeah. I heard that rumor for years that apparently it's true that they wanted Diana Ross to do this to play Solitaire, Mister Big's fortune teller, who. Kept her powers as long as she was a virgin. A whole lot is made of that. Yes. And it's a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Diana this movie is notable in that it has the first, quote-unquote, black, black Bond girl right. in my girl Gloria Hendry, yep. who was so kick-ass in Black Belt Jones. Mm-hmm. And she was in a lot of right. black exploitation movies. But if you saw in Black Belt Jones fighting in soap suds <laughs> with a t-shirt on, you would know why yep. I love Gloria mm-hmm. Hendry. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Talking oh, yeah, I know. Movie. I've seen <laughs> In fact, there are a lot of really decent black actors in this film. We, we're going to joke a lot about this being black exploitation bomb, but it's very true. Yeah, uh, yeah. You I had mean, Julius Carey playing Julius T-E. Carey, who was in Black Caesar yeah. and the sequel, mm-hmm. Hell Up and Hard. Right. Remember... Yeah. Pay the cost of the boss, a famous one mm-hmm. when he took over from his son. You had the great, great, great Haitian dancer Jeffrey Holder. Jeffrey Holder. Playing yeah. Baron Samadin. Lord of the Dead. And he's just terrific. He has a terrific presence on the my wife loved it. she actually met him one time. She said he's just that tall in real yeah, he's life. Six foot six. And she said he is so utterly charming. And she, playing the main villain, of course, was the great Yapat Koto. Yafet Koto, who was in Across 110th mm-hmm. Street, right. as well as a bunch of other Blue Collar with Richard Pry, which isn't exactly a black exploitation movie, but it's a movie you should check out. Yeah. Anyway, he's a wonderful actor. There's a couple of things that I think they went wrong with well, the, him playing the villain right. that could have been tweaked very easily. Yeah. And now keep in mind, you and I have talked about this. I like this film, yeah, but it yeah. is a goofy, goofy oh, yeah. movie. Yeah. It is one of three that were done back to back to back that were written by a team of Richard Maybaum and Tom Mankiewicz. Right. You look at the three of them together, Diamonds Up Forever, this one, and the one that we're going to talk about next, Man with the, the, Golden, Man Gun. With the Golden Gun. And they're almost the same film, only with little things switched around, where Bond does very little in terms of actual proactive 
spying. Well, he's basically chasing the villain yeah. around, especially in Live and Let Die, because he doesn't do anything in Mr. Movie. Big goes from New York to yeah. his island, Same and from here, and, and, and he's just constantly pursuing him, mm-hmm. getting into a bunch of trouble while he's doing right. it. Right. And I love the fact that it seems like the villains know where he is at every single moment of the day. Where he'll get into a cab and it's one of the villains' cabs. I mean, every black person in this movie is in on it. It's like this giant white conspiracy against you know, a white British guy. Right. This is a paranoid movie. If you're sensitive <laughs> about race, because it's like every black person is out to get bond in this movie. And before any of you say it, you're racist, racist, be reminded, for those of you that don't know, that I am black. You're black? Yeah, yes, I am. You I, didn't know this after I didn't know this. Not African American. I don't like that. Yeah. Charlize Theron is African American because she was born in South right. Africa. Yes. I'm not. I, okay. I was born in, I'm black. So, <laughs> since you've always been the play by play guy and I've been the color commentator for these things, maybe we should get into what I guess passes for the plot. The plot is like this. We have the new James Bond, Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. When we first meet him, this is the first movie that we get to see James Bond's house where he lives. That's the at. only one, I think. To date, I think it's the only time we get to see. That's the other at. thing that's unusual about this. We never see MI6, his headquarters in this mm, one. No, Universal and Exports. No, we, we never, never see Q. This is the only film that Desmond Llewellyn misses out on. I didn't even notice that, but yeah, you're right. M delivers the gadget in right. this movie. The major oh, gadget, yes, that's the watch. The wristwatch. He has the rich watch that has the buzzsaw mm-hmm. and it has a magnetic field that attracts Although objects. the funny thing is that for me, the one thing that I remember in terms of a gadget is him using the hairspray yeah. to yeah. burn the snake. When I was a kid, I didn't realize that he had put the cigar in front yeah. of it. But we're getting, again, we're getting ahead of our right. So, M comes to his house because Bond has just come back from a mission where he smuggled out a Russian ballerina. He smuggled her into his bedroom. It's the Italian agent he worked with. The Italian with. agent he worked he's with. Been, okay. He's like, yes, uh, the Italians are wondering what happened to Miss Caruso. Which gives us a nice little bit of Comedy, mm-hmm. which I guess sets up the whole tone for the whole Roger Moore. Uh, James yeah, Bond. that's something that you're going to notice. Not so much in this one, mm-hmm. but definitely in The Man with the Golden Gun. And yeah, you know, the slapstick starts coming. Yeah, and the low comedy and the goofy quips, and a lot of that Roger Moore attributes to Tom Mankiewicz. And everybody else attributes to Roger Moore. Right. Everybody says that Roger Moore was always pushing for more jokes, more gags, because, as he put it, people aren't going to take this seriously anyway, so why don't we have right. fun with it? They have the thing where he's hiding the girl in his bedroom, in right. the closet, and Miss Moneypenny is in there, and they're trying to hide her from M, and he gives Bond his assignment. Because, as we saw in the pre-credit sequence, three British agents were killed. I suddenly killed were in a killed. mysterious... My favorite right. being, of course, the guy who gets killed in New Orleans. Oh, well, how could you not love I that? I love that. <laughs> the guy stands up there minding his business. And he's like, looking, go like... And it's a funeral coming down. And, it, and it, if you've ever been to New Orleans, they have this funeral procession that comes down the street. Uh, MI6 agent, he's standing up there. And a little short black guy with glasses comes and stands next to him. And then... <laughs> what is that? You know, what is it? Shanks the British agent. He falls in the street. The guys carrying the coffin come over and put it over him. And when they pick it up, the body is gone. Right. And after they do that, all of a sudden, everybody breaks out. Right. With the and it's like they start playing this happy joys. Everybody's dancing and singing and laughing mm-hmm. and they carry it on. The woman who presumably was the widow was crying and boohoo in a minute ago. She's the main one we see yeah. dancing down the street. The agent in New York is killed by some sort of sonic device. He's in the UN. That I didn't and remember. That's like the, the first shot of the film. And he has the headphones on. The killer presumably switches it, and we get a shot of Dr. Kananga, played by Yasin Kato, who we are led to believe is 
one of the major villains of right. the movie until we find out different later on. And the third agent is killed on the island of San Monique during a voodoo ritual. Which is played by Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Which takes us right into the memorable opening credit sequence which has that great theme song like, by Paul McCartney Paul Wings. Paul McCartney with the various alternating between the women and the flaming skull. And it's got a voodoo motif through yeah, it and everything. This so, is still when Maurice Binder is in his prime. Later on in the Moore series, he gets really, really lazy. So that goes into Bond's assignment, where he's got to figure out who killed these three agents right. and why. Finds out it's tied into Dr. Kananga, who is the ruler of San Monique. Mm-hmm. And a small island nation. Somewhere in the Bahamas. It's never exactly... Mm-hmm mentioned where. This Dr. Kananga has some mysterious ties to a Harlem gangster called Mr. Big. <laughs> Who supposedly if it's got anything to do with black crime in America, yeah. it's him. He's right. running it. Or if he's not running it's it. Because like, you have the other CIA agent who saves him from the filet of soul informing him this afterwards. Yeah, if he's not running it directly, he's getting money from it or he's influencing right. it. Bond goes to New York and at least a, one of the funniest scenes in the movie, even the characters in the movie comment on how funny this is where Bond follows the Harlem. <laughs> Dr. Kananga up to Harlem and what he cares it's like following a cue ball you can't right. miss him <laughs> Bond is with his Seville role and then he's like top coat and Jimmy Walker like cab driver who we yeah. learn out later is part of Mr. Big's organization with, who's laughing at with this monstrous yes. afro that can barely fit in the cab and <laughs> mutton side before this though Bond has survived an attempt on his life mm-hmm. a dart fired from a white pimp mobile right. all thing <laughs> driven by one of Dr. Kananga this is one of the things I love about this film is it's got the greatest selection of henchmen. It's got some good. It's got some great. Ha- and we're talking, of course, about the great Whisper. Whisper, who is this fat guy, about three, four hundred pounds, and he's called Whisper because he can't talk in anything above a whisper. Because <laughs> people they continue- injured his throat, so he can only do that kind of. Yeah, yeah, my boss. And people are continually. Asking, what did you say? What did you say? I said <laughs> he's the James Bond universe's version of Mumbles. Mumbles. Bond survives that attempt. We have a scene where we see Doctor Kananga say, "Okay, we're going back to the island." And they have a scene where well, he they goes, go he into his office. Takes, he goes, take a letter. Yeah. And he starts dictating this thing, goes over to a tape recorder, turns it on, and it's him doing the same speech. They go into another room, and then they all switch to their pimp gear. And Tim and all of his uh, supposedly assistants switch out of their conservative business suits, and they wear these outrageous... I love, like, if we should mention, Solitaire was eventually played by a very, very, very young Jane Seymour. Who did a very good job. Oh, this and she's, I think this was... If not her first, one of her first yeah. acting roles. She was chosen because Saltzman was very impressed with her work on a TV show called The Odeon Line. She is absolutely amazingly gorgeous. And her whole stick about Solitaire yeah. is that she can apparently tell the future with mm-hmm. tarot cards. There's a terrific scene where Bond is actually coming to America and the table is superimposed. Yeah. She's right. got the cards and she's saying... And that deck, by a- the way, it's called the Gordon deck, I okay. think. I have to look this up. It's one of the most famous deck. It was created specifically for... For the movie. Really? I did not know that. It has become one of the biggest selling tarot decks in the history Mm -hmm. of cards. That's a great scene where she's actually Mm -hmm. telling, and we see Bond coming to America while she's saying, he comes over the water, and we see him flying. He brings death, he brings brings all of this stuff. He brings change. Right, all of this foreshadowing. As someone who's actually studied the tarot, it is more or less an accurate outlay. Right. What they call the Celtic The Celtic, right. I read that. Jane Seymour said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm I'm going to do, do it right. right. I'm not going to BS my way through it. Mr. Big keeps her around. But, I mean, the great thing is they go into the pimp, and she's got this very conservative 
coat on. Yeah, yeah. And then she takes the coat off, and she's got this half slip on underneath. It's <laughs> like practic- little baby doll. She's practically naked. Yeah. But Dr. Kanang keeps around because of her talent for telling the future. This is one of Apparently the Apparently, it's a hereditary thing. Her mother had it. Right. And there is a strong indication he had a relationship with her mother. When I got older and I saw this movie, right. I had a disturbing thought. Well, what if Solitaire actually was his daughter? Yeah. Because he basically says, I'll decide when you, st- when you yeah, lose the power. It's kind of, It's know, my right to take it. So when he says that, it's because it's an interesting relationship that they yeah. have. And I credit it to the acting ability of Yafikado and Jane Seymour. And it's kind of bad when the two secondary characters are more interesting than the main character. Yeah. The relationship they have is a lot more interesting than the one that she has with Bond or Bond has with yeah. Gloria Hendry character. Mm-hmm. Who, of course, is in on it. Oh, well, she's black. Everybody else is black. As we might know. as well have titled this film Black People Hate Bond. Well, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> or White Man's Burden. Yes. <laughs> After we get the whole Harlem sequence, then he goes on to Louisiana. But of course, we begin to get the first motif of this film, which is where he goes to the Flay of Soul to take the place out. Yeah. And of course, the bad guys know he's there. He sits down at this table. There's a booth. And he makes his order, and the booth sinks into the floor. It revolves. Probably this, the this, other one that sinks into it the floor. Revol- and it's a hilarious sequence, because he's in the middle of Harlem. Right. It's like 145th Street, Atlantic Avenue. Mm-hmm. He walks through this bar. nothing but a bunch of brothers dressed out in their pimp gear. Yeah. And, and he's James Bond, so he just walks in <laughs> with his Seville roll overcoat and gloves, walks up to the bar, and he asks for a scotch. Neat. Right. <laughs> and that's it. Of course it's neat. <laughs> what you're trying to say, the place is dirty? He said, yeah. no, with no ice. And the guy says, that's extra, man. I crack up every time. So they tell him to take a booth. Have a booth. So he goes in the booth, and the guy brings him his drink, and then a revolt. And the guy walks Before, yeah, like, he, no, he drinks the drink first. And then we meet the next great villain, Tee Hee. Played by the great Julius, Julius Carey. Carey. A great, great man. Who is equipped with a prosthetic steel arm that has a hook on yeah. it. Oh, it's some hook. Because the first thing he does is he bends Bond's gun. He takes Bond's gun and bends the barrel. Solitaire is there with her deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Bond introduced him. So I called, well, my name is Bond, James Bond. And she said, yeah, I know your name. I know why you're here. You're going to die. You're, he said, yeah. oh, you see all that there? Bond is having his usual witty banter right. with her. In the meantime, he's waiting for his audience with Mr. Big. Mr. Big comes out, and he's dressed in pimp gear. He's got a fur collar right. that's three feet high. And he doesn't even care who Bond is. He just said, take this hockey out of waste. Right. And Bond said, well, that's it. Right. No supervillain banter. He said, I'm used right. to it. Nah, take him out. And he tells Solitaire, well, I shan't be a minute. I'll be right back. You know? Right. Then they take him Doesn't out. Doesn't he also cut the cards at that point to reveal the lovers? The lovers. Because he asked. And he just, he, and he looks at it and says, us perhaps? He asked what his future is right. going to be. And she says, cut the card. Because he did it once before. And the fool came up. Right. And he said, well, am I in there? She said, well, cut the cards and see. He, the fool. She said, well, you found yourself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Then he cuts the card and it's the lovers. And he said, well, maybe that's supposed to be us. And he's taken out by the henchmen. He's saved by the black CIA, which is the only black person in the movie that is not in on the plot. Because he's working for And maybe Coral Jr. So he rescues Bond. He gets out of Harlem alive. Thank God. (laughs) Otherwise, we wouldn't have much of a movie. And then he finds out that Dr. Kananga is on his way to Louisiana. 
I think we should mention at this point, and I'm not giving away anything. Anybody with half a brain, the We're first time you out. see Mr. Big, you realize it's, it's Dr. Dr. Kananga. Yeah. That's how bad the makeup job is. Even when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I saw this movie. As I saw it, the said, scene when they're changing their clothes. Right. You kind of figure out that this is one big put on. Right. That that's the same guy. Although it is a fascinating concept in that you have this guy who's the political head of a small island nation is also a Harlem gangster. Right. I think a lot more could have been done with that concept in the movie, but of course, it's not about Dr. Well, it's, it's, it's a Tom Mankiewicz, Robert Maybaum script, which means they're more interested in Bond being led around by the nose. Right. When we get to what the revelation of the actual plot is, uh-huh. it's a smart plot. It's it a is. clever it is. plot. It's one of the better plots in a James mm-hmm. Bond movie. So they go down to New Orleans, of course, to investigate where the other right. agent was killed at. Oh. And that's when they go to the place. So, <laughs> and it's the one that led to a booth and Bob goes, no, I think we will go there. Uh, go ahead. I think he says that's the effect. No, we had, had a bad turn last uh-huh. time. And so they take a seat in the middle of the floor. And a jazz singer comes out. And the woman starts singing a jazz version of Live and Let Die. Right. And then the floor lowers. And then the floor drops. Then Felix Light returns, played by David Hanson. Yep. What happened to my friend? The guy said, your friend? Let me tell you about your, your friend. friend. And then they cut it. I was so mad because I wanted to hear the story this guy was going to tell. Because yes. it sounded like he was going to tell such a good story. He said, yeah. your friend? Let me, let me tell you about your friend. And of course, it's James Bond. He's being confronted by Mr. Big, who is confronting him because earlier on, we saw that James Bond infiltrated the island. Yeah, because Dr. Kananga has put Solitaire in her own house on top of a mountain right. where nobody can reach her at. James Bond is paraglided yeah. into there one night. And he's well, that's also where he meets Gloria Henry's character. She Supposedly she plays a CIA yeah. agent. He has a bit of business with her. That was completely unnecessary. Yeah. But all together now, she's in on it. It's kind of crazy. They have the whole thing where she says, okay, well, I'm going to take you where Agent Banks was right. killed at. They go up into the mountains. So Bond himself, which reminds me, who sent him the tarot card? Remember he has a tarot card, somebody right. slips it up, up under the door, and he goes to the tarot shop. This is not a and film where thought is rewarded. But wait a minute. He goes to a tarot shop and he asks for the meaning of it. He finds out later on that it means beware of a deceitful woman, right. which he takes to mean the Gloria Hendry character, which turns out to be right because she's leading him into right. a trap. Right. With the scarecrows that have the machine guns that right. If they could kill her with the machine gun scarecrow, why couldn't they just have easily killed Bond? Because then the movie would be over. Oh, okay, well, thank you. That's what I thought. Maybe it was Solitaire. Why would she do that, though? What sense did that make in the comic? Because, because Solitaire is already... Because, I mean, that whole uh, exchange, you get the impression Solitaire's already feeling a little moist downstairs for Bond. So, as is the role of every woman in the Bond well, film. Well, that's mostly what they're there for. Yeah. <laughs> they never explain who sent him the car. Right. He seduced Solitaire. He tricked her, he quite tricks, frankly. Yeah, basically. Because he has a tarot card that is... He, that makes, is a tra- he makes a deck that nothing, is nothing but the lovers. The lovers. He goes to bed with her, which means, of course... She's scared shitless now because she's lost her power to tell the future. And Kananga's pissed off. Which leads us back to the scene in the bottom of the filet of soul. Mr. Big says, that belongs to my good friend Dr. Kananga. Have you been messing with that? (laughs) He says, in true black exploitation fashion. Bond says, well listen, that's the between gentlemen. Now if Dr. Kananga was here, me and him could talk about it. So Mr. Big says, fine, and he rips off the map that, of course, hasn't fooled any doesn't of he, us. Doesn't he also tease a torture with Tee That comes later. That comes later, okay. That after he reveals himself. Okay, yeah. Because this is where he explains his plan. Yeah, this and is this the, is a great plan. I'll let you tell it. The Remember, I, because he's taking off yeah, his makeup. And he goes, you know, yeah, so tell me to my face. The idea is he has a secret stash of poppies is processing it into heroin mm-hmm. that he is going to flood America with for free. 
everyone's going to go get the free heroin. All the mafioso, all the non-blacks mm-hmm. who have been making money off of the drug trade will leave the trade. At which point, the price is going to go up mm-hmm. and up and up, and he's going to use that money to make Sam Arnique rich. It's an understandable plan. For me, I liked it because it was nice to see a James Bond villain who wasn't really interested in world domination. He right. was just interested in dominating his corner of right. the world. Not every James Bond villain necessarily has to want to rule the world. And this guy doesn't. He's got his plan in motion. He knows what he wants to do. He's very focused. All he just want to know is James Bond messing with his stuff. Right, exactly. <laughs> At which point he, he makes Solitaire do a reading. And this is where... And for everything you get wrong, he, he takes right, over finger. this is what you're talking about because he actually had Jabon's pinky finger finger in there. Yeah. I see he reads the numbers from the back of Bond's yeah. watch, and he reads them off, and he says to Solitaire, well, was that right? And she said, yeah, that's true. And for some inexplicable reason, Kananga says, okay, we'll take him out and take him to the farm. So uh, he yes. knocks him out and takes him to the farm. But there's a very good, interesting scene in between it where Kananga walks over, and Solitaire thinks she's going to pull yeah. this shit off. All of a sudden, Kananga turns around and holds off and smacks the shit out of her, yeah. and he says, you wasn't even nowhere near right. Okay, I'm not that I'm condoning a hitting of a woman, but he actually almost breaks down because he loved, very, I loved you. And when I, right. the time came for you... One of the things I love about this film is that mm-hmm. there's a very symbiotic relationship. It's almost like a BDSM relationship between the two of them. Yeah, exactly. People forget about the BDSM relationships mm-hmm. that it's not all about the one person having the power. Mm-hmm. The submissive has the power as well. Yeah, because he tells you, I loved you, and when it was time for you to know physical love, I would have given it to yeah. you. You didn't have to do this. Your power was to serve me. And sometimes he says, sorry, but the car told me right. that it was because she still doesn't know that Jabbar tricked her into this. It's a scene that's got a lot of, really it resonates a lot but now we go back into where Roger Moore as James Bond goes back into his little shtick. Where he's got to do his comedy yeah. routines. Where Teehee drives him to the crocodile the farm. Crocodile farm. There are two ways to disable a crocodile you know. <laughs> Just remember to keep your hands I don't suppose you care to share that information with me? Well, one way is to take a pencil and jam it into the pressure hole behind his eye. And the other? Oh, the other is twice as simple. You just put your hand in his mouth and pull his teeth out. (laughs) (laughs) It's worth mentioning that the farm in this movie, because uh, what happens is that they take James Bond to this farm and there's a small island in the right. middle of a lake full of mm. crocodiles. Tee isolates him. It was an actual alligator farm. crocodile in farm. In fact, the name Kananga is actually the name of the crocodile farm owner. Hamilton had thought of has a peril for Bond to feed him into a sugar granulator. Mm-hmm. And they went to this area to look at an actual machine mm-hmm. and he found it too unwieldy. They're driving home and they see these signs, beware of the crocodile crossing. Right. Trespassers will be eaten. And they went and visited and said, oh, this is the place. Right. And Kananga himself, Ron Kananga, Mm -hmm. was the gentleman's name. Yeah, Ron Kananga. Is the guy who does the actual stunt. Everybody remembers. I remind you again, this is why so much like people rave about CGI. When you got a stunt like that that's done for real, it beats anything on CGI. Because that's an actual guy running across the backs of the alligator. It's not a stunt man. He tried it five times. The first four times he kept slipping and falling into the water. What they did was they bound the crocodile's feet to the bottom of the Yeah, they actually had to tie a couple of them. But left their tails and their mouths right. open. The first four times he slipped, but luckily out of the reach of the crocodiles. Mm-hmm. 
and the fifth time he did it right. That's an actual stunt that you see, folks. I don't even know what the installation is supposed to be yeah. that they have in there, but we see a whole bunch of technicians doing something, mm-hmm. and Bond takes some gasoline and burns it down and leads us into the major set piece of the movie Which is the that big most chase. people remember is the big speedboat chase mm-hmm. in the Louisiana bayous, where we meet Sheriff J.W. Pepper. Oh. <laughs> An unabashed ripoff of okay. Sheriff Buford T. Justice, the, I think, from... The question is, did he come first or did Pepper come first? We have to look at the dates of the releases of those movies. He's your stereotypical southern redneck sheriff. Boss Hogg would be embarrassed by this guy. Yeah, huh? it really, 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 really... Oh, God, this is awful. So Bond is ripping up and down the bayou in a speedboat. And which all comes to the other great stunt sequence that everybody remembers from this film. The speedboat jump. Oh, which I believe... Uh-huh. It made the Guinness Book of World Records. Right, about It was that. 150 feet into the air. And it looks it. It really and, does look I mean, the wake that the stuntman created was so great that the speedboat immediately after it flipped over. And again, folks, I gotta stress, these, these were real people. You used to have people called stuntmen that climbed into boats and cars and planes mm-hmm. and trains and did this stuff for real. They didn't sit at a computer. And you think and this said, is insane? Wait till you get to their next film. Oh, the man with the golden gun. There were people that actually did this stuff for real. But one of the funniest things on there is, I have to admit, much as I dislike Pepper, is when he says, Well, See, let me get my brother in law yeah. to go get him because he's got the fastest boat on the river. Right. And one of the other henchmen, black guy, he gets a hold of it and he's coming down the river. Uh, Pepper said, that's, that's Jim Bob. Jim Bob gonna go get him. <laughs> Jim Bob got the best boat on the river. And everybody is looking at the guy except for Pepper. And they see it's a black guy, plainly. Right. He chases Bond. Bond kills him by, what, throwing gasoline in his yep. eye? They're directing the speedboat up into mm-hmm. the hull of a wreck. Right. And blows up. Now, by this time, Felix Leiter has found his way down there. And he's got to smooth it over mm-hmm. with the local authority. Because J.W. Pepper wants to arrest James Bond. Oh, God. Yeah, superior and he's pretty bad, but at least in the context of the film, it works. Not so the little old lady plane student. During the scene where it's supposed to be a plane chase, I guess. Yeah. I don't even know what to Well, call it's a car it. chase, and he runs out of car, so he jumps into a plane. There's a little old lady in there. Which oh. is a pretty embarrassing moment, which is probably why I blocked it out. But the boat chase leads us into the final part of the movie, which takes place finally on the... Because, again, Bond is following the bad right. guy, because Felix Leiter has no other reason to show up in Louisiana mm-hmm. just to tell James Bond, your friend Kanae went back went to the island. Yeah. Right. And he took the girl with him. And he's got this guy with him, I swear, he's like seven feet tall. Who is a course baron? Bond gets it out. Now the plan is for Coral Jr. to blow up the poppy fields. Who, by the way, was played by the son of the actor who played Coral in the original Doctor No. I did not know that. But not to mention, yeah, he does look a lot like his dad. Quarrel, who got killed. The yeah. original actor had unfortunately passed on. And he had passed on by the time. Okay. The plan is for Quarrel to blow up the poppy fields while Bond rescues girl and kills Kananga. And originally he's going to sacrifice her in one of those voodoo rituals. Matter of fact, Bond actually thinks he's killed Baron Samiti, mm-hmm. who pops up from a grave. Yeah. There's a whole ritual where they tap the sword on there and make mm-hmm. the sign of the cross. Right. And he rides from the grave. Bond shoots the first one, which is an animatronic. But then another one comes up. This one is moving. Real, he's yeah. real. After an embarrassingly short fight. Because now you're really pumped to see James Bond take on this six foot six guy. Right. He hits him one time and he falls into a <laughs> casket full of snakes. So Bond uses the same method that he rose up on from the grave to go down. We find that Kananga has a whole 
classic James Bond subterranean because what would a James Bond film be without a classic subterranean hideout? Exactly. Naturally, Dr. Kanang, like any good James Bond villain, is so happy to see him and James, come on in. He's have, laughing. Have a drink. Let me explain to you how I'm going to kill you and rule the world and rape hey, your and, woman. And he and takes a few minutes to say, look at this gun. Isn't this gun cool? The sharp pelling gun. <laughs> it's like, it compresses air. <laughs> he points it at that and whisper. whisper and whisper like, like, on the couch. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> and whisper is laughing. What's that yeah. going to do to a shark? And he fires it at the couch and it blows it up. He puts Bond in solitaire on some kind of a hoist over yeah. a pool of sharks. He's going to feed them to the sharks, mm-hmm. and he cuts Bond's wrist. Right. Now, this is where Bond uses his watch to not only pull one of the air compression capsules onto <laughs> it, but it does something that we didn't know before, that it's also it had the buzz saw, which is yeah. kind of a cheat, because usually in a James Bond movie, they explain to you each one well, of yeah, the gadgets. the ritual is always that Q explains the gadgets that are always appropriate to what is yeah. going on. This one kind of came out of left, because we weren't told before that he could do that. But mm-hmm. what the hell? James Bond gets off of the hoist. He has, again, an embarrassingly short fight. Mm-hmm. The, probably the most embarrassing fight in James Bond history. Him and Kananga fall into the pool of sharks. He sticks the air capsule pellet in Kananga's mouth, opens it up. Kananga swells up like a balloon. <laughs> and that's embarrassing, And too. flies up to the ceiling and explodes. No blood, no anything. Right. He just blows up. It's obviously like a balloon of some sort. It's photographed so badly. Yeah. It's embarrassing. We get to the end of the movie where James Bond is solitaire. Felix Slider puts him on the train. And he says to him, well, I don't understand why you didn't fly. What can you do on the train for three days? Well, obviously, he don't know his friend James Bond. Because yeah, we know what he's going to do. There's solitaire going like, hee 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 Yeah. Now we get to what has now become an obligatory part as much yeah. as the credit sequence any other part of James Bond movie. Whatever henchman is left alive yeah. after all the cards well, are done, that makes the last really, I think Mankiewicz really solidified this. Because it happens in all three of his pictures that he co-wrote. Right. Whatever henchman is left right. alive makes a final try at killing James Bond. After we and it gets to a ridiculous over. extreme in the next film. This one, Teehee is the guy. Right. That tries to kill Bond. Who's been hiding out in a postal a sack. A mail sack. I don't like to have been the guy that's carrying that shit. This doesn't feel like letters. It feels like an ass. <laughs> hey, Joe, does this feel like an ass to you? It doesn't feel like a parcel. Could somebody get me a manager? <laughs> Serious, man. When they picked it up, really? Let's go get you an advert. But didn't anybody notice when they picked that shit up that it didn't feel like letters I mean, or packages? It felt like a body. And matter of fact, this is probably the best fight in the movie. Yeah. The best fight between him and him and T. He because he flipped Solitaire up into the fold out right. bed. And they're tearing up the little compartment. His pincher claws get caught on the windowsill and then Bond snips the wire and it gets stuck and he just simply flips the cat out and right. it tears the whole arm off he pulls down solitaire and she said well what did you think you was doing he said well just being disarming dude. right and the last shot in the movie that we see is a great one. It's Baron Samini riding on the front the, of the, the train, train laughing his ass off. I always got the impression that he was going to come after them and kick their asses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's for putting me in the big coffin This there. is memorable because this movie really has got the first insertion of a supernatural world into mm-hmm. the James Bond, which has primarily been science fiction-y, but what was Solitaire's confirmed psychic powers right. and Baron Samini. We have a touch of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Which is in keeping with the voodoo scene yeah. of the whole movie. As we announced at the top of the hour, this is a goofy, 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 oh, yeah. goofy film. But it's also a very energetic film at times. I like it. And I even like with it. stupid shit like J.W. Pepper. But I think the thing is, even the, the Pepper is logical in the film. In the context of what it is, yeah. because he's a Louisiana redneck 
Sheriff, and he's in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. In the context, I don't of think movie, I wanted to see him again. No, yeah, he should have been a one shot character. Yeah. But in the context of the movie and where he's at and what's happening, I can take him. Even though it's nowhere near as prevalent as it's going to be, you can see that there's a definite sea change. These characters you would never see at J.W. Pepper in a Sean or Connery, no. the little old lady aviation student. No, no, no. In a Sean Connery. James this is Bond. by far. This is the James Bond movie that. Definitely has more overtly comedic elements than any other Bond movie we've seen. Yeah. Now apparently this did pretty well at the box office. It did very. I know myself that I saw it in the theater three times. My father took me to see it. I went with my father. I went with one of my friends, and I saw it again by myself. Yeah. I saw it at the Sunrise Mm Drive-In on Sunrise Highway, right right on the other side of the Queens Nassau County border, with my folks. It did so well that there was some pressure from United Artists to get the next one out a little faster than normal. Okay. Because there used to be a three-year gap between these films. Right. They pushed to get this one out the following year. The first thing they did was Salzman and Broccoli commissioned Tom Mankiewicz to write a script. Okay. I think it's telling that even Mankiewicz said, I was a little burnt out at this time. After my first draft, I said, guys, you got to get somebody else. Because I don't think I'm giving you my best. And considering how stupid his best was... <laughs> They chose The Man with the Golden Horns, the posthumous book right. of Ian Fleming's career. Which actually, if they had stuck closer to the book, would have made one for one. But they couldn't do it because right. the actual book follows after You Only Live Twice. Right. And also, on top of that, it was set primarily in Jamaica, mm-hmm. and they just used Jamaica. Yeah. They ended up going with the Far East. And I think one of the big strengths of the film that we're about to talk about is the really incredibly striking scenery. We haven't seen the Far East since you only lived twice. So it was about time Mm -hmm. for the series to make a return to that part of the world. So they go to Roger Maybaum, who writes a rewrite of Tom Mankiewicz. Mm -hmm. And they're still not happy. Mm -hmm. So they go to Tom Mankiewicz and say, do you mind doing a rewrite of the rewrite of your rewrite. Of your rewrite. That was the script that eventually ended up. And he said, if you don't mind giving me a check on top of the check, on top of the check, of the check you've already given me. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The film we're talking about, of course, is 1974, The Man with the Golden Gun, which is the first Bond film I saw by myself. Really? In the old Haven movie theater. He was a big boy now. Yeah, on 80th Street and Jamaica Avenue. It's worth mentioning that in the original book, it had a sequence that I really think that I would have loved to see because now we're talking about the books here, folks, not right. the movie. In the previous book, You Only Live Twice, Bond has lost his memory. He's been living as a Japanese fisherman with Kissy Suzuki until the day he hears about Russia and for some reason he's drawn there. He's got to go there to find out who right. he is. Now, in the beginning of the novel version of The Man with the Golden Gun, he's been brainwashed by the Russians right. and he actually goes to kill his boss, M. Mm-hmm. They played upon his subliminal psychological resentment against M to try and kill him. So then he's re-brainwashed, and in order to prove himself and get back into M's good graces, because he doesn't have his 007 status anymore, they sent him after the most dangerous man in the world, Francisco Scaramanga, the man with the golden gun, to kill him. And if he can kill him, then he can get back. The golden gun is just a thirty-eight revolver plated gold. Right. Not so in this one. This is one of the coolest things about this movie. It's a highly stylized weapon created by Lazar, which is made out of five separate components. Cigarette case. A cigarette case, a cigarette lighter, cufflinks. A fountain pen. A fountain pen, Uh and one other item. Just one other item. But it's like the, the cufflinks are the trigger. The cigarette lighter. The, the cigarette lighter is the the hand grip. The fountain pen is the barrel. Yeah. Remember when he's sitting there at the desk, he uncaps both hands. Right. They originally went to Jack Palance Ooh. to play Scaramanga. Now that I'd like to see. Palance turned him down, and that's when... He would also made a great Nick Fury if they got him when he was yeah. younger. Roger Maybaum said, hey, how about Christopher Lee? 
Ah, Christopher Lee, whose name has come up before if you've been listening to our series. Not only is he Ian Fleming's cousin, but Ian Fleming tried hard to get him to play Dr. No. He and Roger Moore were old friends. Yeah. In one of the first productions that they did together as actors together. And he was anxious to do something to get away from the stereotype that most people had of him as Dracula. Well, if you remember, that's why he didn't get the Dr. No role, because he's too well known for the horror movies, and they didn't want people to say, oh, that's Dracula. Right. He gladly accepted. I think he wanted to be a Bond villain for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And he particularly loved the script. He said he constantly tried to make Scaramanga into the dark version of James Bond. To give him the same sort of style and the same sort of demeanor. There were two Bond women in here. The first one to be cast was Maud Adams, a Swedish model. And she holds a particular place in the Bond universe. She's another one of these people, like Charles Gray and Martine Bestwick, mm-hmm. who has appeared more than once. More than once, yeah. In different roles. But she's the first one to have two really major yeah, roles. She's because the one, she's got a very major she's role. She's a Bond this. girl in the first two of her three appearances. Third period, she's like basically in a crowd scene, so that doesn't yeah. really count. She's the main Bond girl in her second appearance. In Octopus. So she plays Andrea Anders, and to play Goodnight... Oh my god. <laughs> I hope the nightmares. They got Britt Eklund, who I have to assume was recommended by Christopher Lee, because they had just finished doing a film that you and I are going to talk about oh. come October. They had just finished right, doing... the Wicker Man! And this is what also frustrates right, me, because yeah. you look at the Wicker Man, and you see that Britt Eklund oh, can fucking act. Which is what is so bizarre about her in this movie because she is, you look at her and you look at her in something like The Wicker Man. You cannot believe it's the same actress. She can act worth a damn. I mean, she's got one of the creepiest nude scenes in the history of cinema. I would say the creepiest. It's so creepy it takes all the sexuality yeah. out of it, man. I like stripping oh. her. I say, no. Oh, my God. But she played Mary Goodnight. Mary Goodnight. Supposedly a MI6 agent. And I can only assume that they sent her all the way the hell out to Hong Kong. Um, to get rid of her so she yeah. was messed oh, up. She is easily... So she wouldn't screw up anything anywhere else. I will get say her out this of London. right here, right now, even worse than the Tanya Roberts character. Okay. Even worse than, than, than Dr. Mary Christmas. She is my least favorite of all the Bonders. Oh, my God. Yes. Even though I will admit that she fills out that bikini in the last act incredibly well, she is the absolute worst. She is a total liability to Bond from beginning to end. And speaking of which, just to give you a brief overview of the plot, before the pre-credit sequence, we see that there's a gangster. We should mention that the gangster you see is Solo. Solo, Although I don't think they mentioned him by name, but that is the same actor. this guy plays the same gangster that we saw in Diamonds Are Forever when he threw plenty of tool out of a window. And 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 he was in Goldfinger. It's the same character, folks. But in this one, he, he meets, his, he end. meets his end. Supposedly, he's been hired to kill Scaramanga by Scaramanga's assistant, Nick Knack. Who is, up until the very end of the film, a really kind of creepy presence. Played, Played by, by Parisian painter-turned-actor Hervé Villachez. Who this, most of you know, probably, from Fantasy Island right. with Ricardo Montalban. The play, boss, the right. He's hired this gangster to kill Scaramanga. So he says, okay, well, you go in there, and you go in there, and you go right. in there, and that's where you find him at. Unfortunately, he's been set up by Knickknack as he finds himself in this fun house right. where he goes onto a gangster set. And actually, it's kind of funny because he shoots a statue of Al Capone. Right. And he goes, an sorry. Says, it's funny because half of those wax figures... Those animatronics, yeah, anim- okay. ...are wax figures, but some of them, the gunfighter in the OK Corral set and Al Capone are actual actors. So he's wandering around this and they're shooting back, but at the same time... 
that he's in there, he's being stalked because by Scaramanga. It turns out that this is an elaborate game that Scaramanga and Knickknack play with yeah, each other right. every couple of months where Knickknack hides his gun somewhere in the funhouse and find sends a killer after him and he has to find the gun and kill him. And since the gun only has one shot, yeah. he's only got one opportunity, but as Scaramanga says, I only need one. Because right. supposedly he's never missed. So he kills the gangster. And him and Knickknack have a pretty nice little exchange where he says, oh, you almost got me that time. And Knickknack says, yeah, I'm going to get your money I yet. am convinced <laughs> Chris Claremont watched this film mm-hmm. when he came up with Arcade. That whole setup where you have the funhouse and the assassin who charges a million dollars. Right. And the assistant who arranges on his birthday to try to have him killed mm-hmm. every year. Yeah. In fact, his female assistant is named Ms. Locke after the, the sole employee of his secret underground lair. He's got this huge secret underground lair as big as Grand Central Station and he's only got one guy that Whose works. name is Mr. Locke. Now we get into the movie proper and M calls James Bond, Roger Moore, into his office. By the way, this is the problem with Roger Moore's. I mean, even though I mean, it's something that's carried over from the Connery film, but he really comes off as a real smartass. The problem that I have with this, as I've always had with James Bond, is supposed to be a spy. Whatever he is, he's not a spy. Spies are covert. People don't know who they are. Turns out that Scaramanga has sent a golden bullet to hell. So apparently, he's got M's address. He knows that M is the head of the Secret Service. He knows that James Bond works for the Secret Service. And has got his number carved into the golden Mm -hmm. bullet. Scaramanga is an internationally known hitman. But no one knows what he looks like. Right. Charges a million dollars per hit. And has never missed. M interprets this as that his next target is James Bond. Right. So he says, you're going to go into hiding until we find out. And James Bond says, bullshit I on can that. Have, I can either accept your resignation or you can go to the ground for a couple of right. weeks. Right. Uh, and well, Bond says, if I find him first, yeah, that sort of negates him finding me, doesn't it? A little smile comes across Bernard Lee's face and he goes... Uh, yes, yes, I guess that would. Well, he said, bullshit on that. I'm going to find him first and take him out. He goes see the guy Lazar. That's the guy that Dude, could only make that type exactly. of specialized stuff. Well, first he has to go get the bullet. That's yeah. a, such an embarrassing thing. Oh, God. Once again, we see the descent into slapstick. Because Scaramanga has killed 002. Who is a friend of Bond's. But they never found the bullet. As mm-hmm. it turns out, the guy was killed in Marrakesh, one of a body house. The belly dancer. He was fucked with the belly dancer. Right. She dug the bullet out of the wall for whatever reason, and she wears it as a charm in her belly. A lucky butt. charm, because <coughs> supposedly it went through him but missed her. First of all, this girl must have been belly dancing that for a long time because she looks about 60. The script had it even worse. In the original script, the character was apparently 300 pounds and was supposed to look like another horror. She's a much older woman than we're used to seeing in a Bond film. Yeah. But at least she's reasonably attractive. Uh, well, I said anyway, reasonably. I didn't anyway, Bond goes to visit her backstage because he sees her with the bullet in her oh belly button. He goes to her dressing room and starts putting the moves on her. Being an ex-smoker myself, I know that a lot of women who don't smoke don't like it when you kiss them. He's got this big-ass long cigar mm-hmm. in his mouth. And he takes out and immediately starts kissing on her. And then immediately goes down to her belly button. And it sucks the bullet. And just then, the Turkish owners of the club come in and smack him on the back, and he swallows the bullet. He swallows the bullet. Oh, jeez. <laughs> He's got this bug-eyed look on yeah. his face that when I saw it, I could just drop my head in my head. I said, oh, God. The end of Western civilization. Yeah. They have a very dull fight scene. He runs out of place, and he jumps into a car, and he says, oh, take me to the nearest drugstore. Ha, 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 ha. Right. What is he going there for? I wonder. Animal. When we... 
next see him, he's with Q. Q has got the bullet. We're not going to ask Q, a guy who's supposed to be like a ballistics expert. Yeah. They determined that it could only be made by one guy, Lazar. Right. And this who, is interesting in that it's the first and the best part of the only time that Q is in a film but not has a supplier. But there's only one device that Bond needs, which we're going to get to later, and it's really just a cosmetic thing. Yeah, because it's the bad guy that's got all the gadgets in his movie, not Bond. He's got the cool gun, he's yeah. got the fun house, he's got a freaking laser beam for some reason. Yeah, but this is the first Bond movie where Bond does not have any gadgets. Right. It's the bad guy that's got all the toys. Bond goes to visit Lazar. We see again an ex- example where Bond is the celebrity spy. Because right. Lazar knows him as soon as he walks in. And he's oh. like, oh, I'd love to design something for you, yeah. my friend. Oh, James Bond, the famous 007, thank you for coming to see me. So Lazar shows him some of the customized guns he's made. One that particularly intrigued me. No, he, he, he made for a guy that's why he got two shot fingers. His fingers. And then, of course, Bond turns the tables on him. Mr. Bond, bullets do not kill. It is the finger that pulls the trigger. Exactly. I am now aiming precisely at your groin. So speak of her above your peace. <laughs> it, this I is got, a weird bond. I, I gotta, gotta say, usually, and I'm the first one to uh, denigrate Roger Moore's humor. That was kind of I like yeah. that line though. Speaking well, of he claims that, that, that Mankiewicz came up with that in uh, one of the commentaries on the Ultimate Edition. That actually is kind of funny. We're well, like looking that. at a weird bond at this point because he still got some of Sean Connery's arrogance and brutality. Then on the other hand, we got Roger Moore with the martini in the hand making the jokey jokies. Right. Uh, Lazar says, "Okay, listen, I got this supply of bullets I made for this guy, and it's in a cigarette pack. Right. He makes like a twenty of them for." at a time. Right. And he says, well, where are you supposed to deliver them at? And he says, supposed to go to the Bottoms Up Club, which right. is a club where it's got yeah. topless waitresses, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, this is one of the first, if not the first bomb, where there is tasteful nudity. Yeah, because we do see inside the Bottom Up yeah. Club where there's the bartender. She's a bartender. She's inside she's topless. of... Right, right. And she's on her knees. And we do see like a little flash of breasts, but really and of course, not later on when, when he goes and visits the Dragon Gardens. Right. There, where he, she, he meets Chu Me. Chu Me, yeah. One of my favorites. Me. <laughs> I like that scene. I liked it so much I stole the name, you know. Okay. If you read the book, the yeah. line of voice mm-hmm. yeah, that's where I got the name from. He tells him, okay, you deliver the bullets just as you're supposed to do, and I'll be there. Bond's plan is obviously to ambush Garamango when he's picking up the bullets. Now is where we get into the other plot with the Solix Agitator. Oh, because God, yes. They mentioned early on in the film that the energy crisis is still going on and we need to find this solar agitator because this guy created this very efficient solar cell. So for those of you that are too young to remember back then, there was a thing going on called the energy crisis where everybody was in a panic that we were running out of oil, mm-hmm. we were running out of coal, we were running out of everything needed to power all of the stuff that we like using. So there was a big hue and cry back then about mm-hmm. finding alternate forms of power. And one of the dreams that they had was of solar power. So this movie is set in that kind of context, whereas this device, the solar agitator, was supposed to be a cheap way of harnessing mm-hmm. solar power and making it commercial. That's the history lesson for yeah. today. So he goes <laughs> out of the Bottoms Up Club and sees Knick Knack. Right. Wandering around a little bowler hat, a little... Yeah. Herbie Vila says for about 
90% of this film, it's a really creepy little present. Because he stands right next to Bonnie and, and he yeah, smiles he smiles up at yeah. and just walks and, up. You know, Bonnie's just like looking at him and said, where the fuck did you come from? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then a shot rings out, but it's not Bond who shot. It's the creator of the solar agitated device who gets mm-hmm. killed. He was supposed to be meeting a member of the Japanese Secret Service. Mr. Hip was supposed to be meeting him to pass the solar agitator onto him. But mm-hmm. Nicknack has gotten it yeah. out of his pocket. Mr. Hip takes Bond, because since he was near the body, he just takes him out of the whole crowd and says, right. well, come with me. And, Bond and he goes, assumes, yeah, he's Scaramanga. Because remember, people don't know who Scaramanga looks like. Right. They're on a boat, and Bond keeps saying, well, where are you taking me? Where are you taking me? Well, we're taking you to be interrogated at the police department. Yeah. Well, why are you taking me across the water in a boat over and to the other side? And this comes with the most inventive sets in this film. And probably oh. the whole history of James yeah. Bond movie. Queen Elizabeth, it's based on an actual ocean liner that didn't know why it sank back then, but we mm. now know that what had happened was an arsonist got on board mm-hmm. and set it aflame. They were converting it into a floating university. Mm-hmm. And it sank in the middle of Hong Kong Harbor. We learned that MI6 is using it as its headquarters. As their Hong Kong headquarters. Certainly gives you a new slot. What with the Chinese on one side and the American fleet on the other, down here's the only place in Hong Kong you can't be boat. And it's just a magnificent... So, because everything is slanted. Right. And they built special floors and special right. ramps so you can walk normally, but still the walls and everything yep. is canted at an angle. It's just a really interesting set just to look at. Of course, we got M who's got an office in there. Right, he's got his office set up with M and Q and the forensic expert uh-huh. and Money Penny outside. Of course, Bond walks in and he starts giving them hell. Ah, you screwed this up. You didn't get Scaramanga. They got the solar agitator. What are you doing? <laughs> but he's got a lead in Andrea Anders. Uh-huh. Who we find out later on, she was actually the one that yes. sent the bullet. So in the hopes that Bomb would come and kill uh, Scaramanga. So she's creeped out by him. like his paid mistress. He likes to have sex before a kill. Because they say, just like bullfighters do. Yeah, that's And we, like and we see thing. that seduction. It's a really freaky deaky scene. They have one scene in there that's really creepy that actually reminds me a lot of when he played Dracula. Mm-hmm. Of when he walks into the bedroom and the bedroom is all draped in black and she's lying on the bed. Walks over very slowly and he takes out his golden mm-hmm. gun and he starts stroking the side of her face with it. Then he starts and going downwards. She down is horrified. You could see it in the her gun, eyes. The gun starts going down and they cut away from that. But you can kind of imagine. Maybe that yeah. gun is going somewhere. Yeah, he's just got no business yeah. going. <laughs> we don't know, but we know from Andrea's expression, this isn't good at all. So he tracks her down, and that leads to a scene that causes a lot of controversy. Where Bond he beats her up. Yeah, and he threatens to break her arm. He slaps her around, not just once, three or four yeah. times. Throws her on the bed. Throws her on the bed, puts the arm in a hammer lock. She goes, you're hurting my arm, because... If you don't answer my questions, I'll break it. And I'll give credit to where credit is due. There's something about the much more casual way Roger Moore says that line that makes it much more frightening yeah. than if Sean Connery had said it. It's like he breaks women's arms every yeah. day. You know, yeah, I'll break it. This serves to remind James Bond is not a nice guy. People are going to get used to what I call the James Bond light that yeah. Roger Moore plays that's really jokey. You got to remember something. James Bond is a paid assassin for his government. He is yeah. not a nice guy. He's coldly brutal when he has mm-hmm. to be. Especially in a situation like this, 
where the most famous and successful hitman in the world is after him. He's not inclined to be a nice right. guy. He learns from Andrea that Scaramanga is in cahoots with this Hong right. Kong triad lawyer, whose house is actually a very famous estate called the Dragon Gardens. Yeah, by doing my research for yeah. this, I saw it online. I said, you can still go there and mm. walk around. Yeah, part of it now is him now. Yeah, she said, we got him all wrong. He really likes and respects you. You'd be surprised. Yeah. He considers you and him right. equal. Mm-hmm. And Scaramanga's all the time talking about how great you are and right. how he wishes he could have a duel with you. And James Bond said, yeah, I want to arrange that too. Right. <laughs> so he tells her, you're going to do what you got to do because she's supposed to deliver the bullets yeah. to Scaramanga. He says, well, you go ahead and I'm going to follow you and hopefully right. he's going to get him. Now, meanwhile, we got Goodnight running run, around. Uh, Mary uh, Goodnight. Mary Goodnight. Mary Goodnight. Been uh-huh. assigned as Bond. And you get the implication that there was some sort of relationship between the two of them before. When she was assigned to London. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Apparently a one-night stand. It had to be. Every time she shows up, there's this look on Roger Moore's face like, oh, God, not again. <laughs> She's supposed to deliver the bullets to... It's a Muay Thai arena. Yeah, it's a Muay Thai or is it the sumo? No, sumo sumo's come, come first. The, no, actually, the sumo's come first before the Muay Thai match. Because then he decides to go and visit the businessman who has his uh, estate in Thailand and poses Scaramanga. Whereas we get the only Bond gadget in the movie, which yeah. isn't really a the gadget. The third nipple. It's supposedly Scaramanga has a right. third nipple. Supposedly a man who has a third nipple is invincible and right. can't be killed. Now, don't ask us why. Supposedly, if Scaramanga had been doing business with this guy, this guy wouldn't know what Scaramanga looks right. like. Because how's a third nipple? Is that how you identify yeah. yourself to everybody? You take off mm-hmm. your shirt, which is what Moore does right. in this movie. He, he takes, takes off his shirt. Go uh, <laughs> swimming with Chew Me. Oh. Who is quite apparently naked in the water. You can't see much, but what you can see leads you. Same thing with Mort Adams. You could tell Mort Adams is naked in that shower. Go sees this guy, and he makes an appointment with him for later on. He's invited to dinner. When he goes in there and he's walking up, and here comes a nightmare fuel, namely the sight of Hervé Villachez dressed as in a, a freaking blue Oni. In a diaper. <laughs> diaper and a blue devil mask. Oh my god. Running around with a pitchfork. He fights the sumos. He gets knocked out. Instead of killing Bond, the thing is, is that nightmare knickknack is standing over him with the pitchfork, ready to pierce his throat. And the guy says, he goes, no, no, send him to karate school. The guy said, no, you can't kill him here. This is my house. There's nobody around for miles. Yeah, you, you own 10,000 acres of land. How can you get a more private place to kill somebody? No, he says he took a karate school with his 60 witnesses, which leads to, I gotta admit, it's one cool scene where the guy comes up there and he challenges James to the right. match. The guy turns to the sensei and does the formal bow. And bow. And Bond turns to him and does this foppish little thing. Then turns to the opponent and pretends to start to bow uh-huh. and just kicks him in the head. And, bow, <laughs> and then he bows. But he gives him that look. What's up? They give him that Right. What's yeah. up? You know, and all the guys about he still apparently got a little bit of brother in him after the last movie. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the sensei picks another guy to come up. Yeah. And this guy's got a little bit more in the ball because he bows, but he never takes his <laughs> eyes off of him. Or else he saw Enter the Dragon yeah. where Bruce Lee said, never take your eyes off your right. opponent. They're fighting, and frankly... Bond's getting his ass handed And it's off. obvious that they don't know what to do because the fight goes outside and Lieutenant Hip happens to show up in his car with his two nieces who happen to be Kung Fu masters. Let's assume that Hip followed when they took Bond from yeah. the estate. Why didn't he call for backup? I don't know. What? His two nieces are his backup? 
If it was the two crazy babysitting twins yes. from Robert Rodriguez's, <laughs> I could see terror. them too. Because yes. they don't win it and kicked every ass yes. and sighting at school. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you glad you put it on the phone the other night and made them do their, do their toes. That's right. Took them back to their house and made James Bond paint their toenails. <laughs> that had been a movie. The two girls wipe out yeah. the whole karate school. And for some reason, they get in the car and they drive <laughs> off and, and leave James Bond behind. So Bond has to get into Bond. these fishing skiffs that, that the Thais use uh-huh. with one of those long, long, long motors. And he threatens people with the motor and then he goes flying off. Right. There's a chase through the floating markets of Thailand, mm-hmm. which unfortunately leads us to this guy. <laughs> Yep, because, of course, once was not enough for the greatness oh, that was J.W. Pepper. He's back in this one, folks. First of all, I can't understand why a southern redneck sheriff would even be vacationing right. in Thailand. Especially considering all the comments he makes about pointy heads and slant eyes from this Yeah, it, it's the worst form of humor. Because it depends on ignorance for me. I laugh at just about anything. But you know what I won't laugh at? I won't laugh at ignorance. Yeah. And that's what this humor is based on. And the actor that does this, if you've ever seen him in any other movies like The Untouchables yeah. or Lone Star. This is like a New York he, trained actor. He is a remarkable actor. Mm-hmm. And he's stuck doing a caricature. Yeah. That scene goes on. The whole movie stops. For about yeah. five minutes while we watch J.W. Pepper behave like a total moron. Talk about the ugly American at its height. This is it. This is a movie, if you ever watch it on DVD, this is the part. Yeah. Leave it running, go to the bathroom, go get yourself a snack, and then come back. And, and then the movie wonder. starts up again, only to get into a car chase. And because, of course, having J.W. Pepper in twice isn't enough... Mm-hmm. He ends up as part of the car chase. Why an American tourist would be in Thailand buying an American car? Buying an American car? There's no reason for it. But because of it's course, in the script. The only reason for it is that so he can be in the same car right. with James Bond while he's chasing after Scarabango. More importantly, he could be the, in the same car while Bond enacts what is referred to as the Astro Spiral Trick. Yes. Which is the most famous stunt sequence in this film. And again, some fool got in this car and did the stunt for real. The designer of the trick was Mr. W.J. Milligan Jr. The reason it's called the Astro Spiral is because it was originally done in Astro Stadium. In okay. Houston, Texas. He sold the rights to the jump to Saltzman and Broccoli and promised not to do it anywhere else for two years. The actual driver is a man by the name of Bumps Willard. <laughs> oh, Bumps. <laughs> That's his name, man. It was originally inspired by the fact that the originator saw computer footage from Cornell University that showed it was theoretically possible. The car, which was a Hornet X, was specially designed to totally balance itself out. Mm-hmm. So the steering wheel was in the middle. You had a driver in the middle lying down with the accelerator and gas pedals mm-hmm. behind him with Moore and the actor who played Pepper on either side of him. The funny thing is, Bumps Willard did it in one take. In one take. In, in fact, the first time, did it perfectly. Gary Guy Hamilton actually had suggested that they do another take because he said it's so perfect, I don't think people will believe it actually happened. Because you look at it and you say... Well, how did they, this is what James Bond movies used to right. be known for? You went to see him to see stuff you couldn't see in any other movie. According to Milligan, Moore came up to Willard in tears mm-hmm. and profusely thanked him 
for making him look so good. As much as we hate what happens before and after the, the stunt, it's an amazing, it's an amazing stunt. moment. Although I, there is one thing I hate about this stunt, and once again, it's indicative of where we're going for the next couple of years. Yeah, the freaking slide whistle. Yeah, the slide whistle effect. If they had just did it with no yeah. sound at all, you would have been sitting there with your mouth hanging open. Oh my mm-hmm. god! I mean, you do. This will continue to go down a downward spiral to the point where we're getting cowbell effects uh-huh. in Moonraker when the pigeon does the double take. The car goes up on the yep. ramp. There's a bridge that's yeah. broken at both sides. Scaramanga is on one side of the river and he's on the other. Yeah. So Bond guns Bond the car. wants to get there because Goodnight has has the Solex. Solex. Yeah. She, of course, Scaramanga has grabbed her because she's a total fucking incompetent and stuffed her in the trunk of her car. Feel strongly about that, do you? I, I hate this character so much. So it's a bridge that's broken, but there's two ends still at, right. on his side and Scaramanga's side. So he guns the car. He hits his side and it's curved so that as he goes at the very apex of the jump. The car does a complete right. barrel roll. Oh, my God. And lands perfectly on the other side with no problem. And that was Mr. Oh. Bumps Willard. That was an actual person driving an actual car. Incredible. One of the most phenomenal stunts in movie history. So now, Bond's on the same side as Scaramanga. You figure, well, he's got his golden right. gun toting ass now. No, Scaramanga drives into a warehouse. Inside the warehouse, he flips a switch. The whole dashboard flips down, and the dashboard of an right. airplane comes up. Wings are attached to the plane. An engine is attached to it. This was based on an actual device. I've heard that, yeah. Uh, I remember as a kid, because I was like really into popular mechanics. I used to mm. love the articles about the, the people who would be building planes in their garages. In their backyards. In their backyards and garages. This was an actual plane that somebody devised and they had actually contacted the person who created it uh-huh. to use it. Unfortunately, the guy crashed and died before uh-huh. the film started. So they had to go to special effects editor Mr. Sears. It was done but through a combination of scale models a full-scale replica that, of course, okay. never left the ground. The scale models flew, though. That Scaramanga flies away in a car that's become an airplane. Yeah. And he flies to his island retreat in the South China Seas, where he's protected by the Chinese government. Bond gets in a plane and, of course, flies after him to this island. Then Bond lands. For in my opinion, one of the most beautiful uh, locations. Oh, they yeah, yeah. ever it's, used in a Bond it, it's film. It's gorgeous. It's like thousands of little islands. Cow yeah. Ping Kong. Mm-hmm. which has since been renamed the James Bond Islands, off the coast of Thailand. Mm-hmm. It was near Phuket, Thailand, which is a very, very small town mm-hmm. in, in the country. And in fact, they talk about, on the Ultimate Edition, how difficult it was to go from Hong Kong, where you, everybody had their own personal valet, to Phuket, where Hamilton and Salzman went in advance and rented out a whorehouse mm-hmm. for the two weeks they had to be there. It's very striking and unique with these, like, rocks shooting up at random, it seems. Yeah, you know. and they've got a great scene where it's Scaramanga, he's on his junk now. He's got his own yeah. junk. I'm tell- this is a Bond villain that's got more cool stuff than Bond himself. He's mm-hmm. got his own Chinese junk. Bond gets to the island, and Scaramanga's like, oh, James, I'm so glad you came to see me. Oh, he's laughing for- when he sees him. You're just in time for dinner. Fact, when Bond first finally arrives in a seaplane, Nick shows up with, with, a the, of with a bottle of champagne which Scaramanga blows the cork off of. Then uh, Nick Nack sets a wonderful table and Bonds, he's all business of course. Well I came for good night. Sure you're gonna see her. Come in. You'll we'll see have, more of her than you see in the rest of the film. Yeah, Trust me. We'll have some laughs. We'll, yeah. we'll watch some movies. He's, he's the perfect home. Yeah. And they have dinner. 
During and dinner, Scaramanga, he says this. Well, Scaramanga. As a million dollars a contract, I can afford to, Mr. Bond. You work for peanuts. A hearty well done from Her Majesty the Queen and a handsome pension. After that, we are the same. To us, Mr. Bond, we are the best. Because you're useful fall in a word, and you're full of it. And then, of course, he shows him his special, 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 special little pet. The freaking laser. Supposedly, this is the reason why he claims, well, I really am the man with the golden gun. Because right. he's got this laser that he uses the solar agitated to power. It's never understood. What is he going to blow up? Yeah. You <laughs> see the laser. It doesn't seem to have that much of a range. He doesn't need it to defend himself against his enemies because the Chinese right. are giving him exactly. protection. I'm going to blow up your plane now. So he blows up Bond's plane, boom. But that's it. There's nothing else you can blow up. So why did you build this thing? He's got this huge underground complex maintained by one, one guy, guy, Mr. Locke. Is this what you spend a million dollars for? And this place obviously costs more than that to build. It just makes no sense that he has this immensely powerful laser device. But as you said on the phone when we were talking, it's just another example of the obsession that the entire James Bond series had with laser devices. Right. There's one in Diamonds Are Forever. There's one coming up later in... One in Goldfinger. The Goldfinger. Thing, yeah. There's one in Moonraker coming yeah, up in Moon- the next episode. There's one in Die Another Day. Die Another Day. There's two in Die Another Day. It's like whenever the James Bond movies can't find an original Ultimate Weapon, bring out the laser device. We'll just make it a laser device. Everybody knows about lasers. Scaramanga tricks Bond into doing it. He's like, okay, well, yeah, I've got good night here. I guess I can let you all go, but I want to have a duel. I want to live out my fantasy. Your wolf of PPK against my My golden gun. gun. And Bond said, not fair. I've got eight shots to your one. Scaramanga said, well, that's all I need. Right. I said, oh, cocky bass. So they go out on the beach. Right. And Nick Knack, of course, tells him the rules yep. of being a gentleman because he's got his own antique pistol. Right. Well, you take 10 steps and turn anybody moves beforehand. I got to kill him. You shoot until there's one man left standing. Bond, the true gentleman, takes the 10 steps. He turns around. Scaramanga's gone. Nick Knack says, never plan to go through with this at all. He's playing games with you. I'll help you. Bond said, why right. should and I trust we, and you? you and, and everyone who's reading this show is like, oh, I remember the last guy, Nick Knack. Right. Because Nick Knack says, well, all this will be mine. If you kill him, and he leads him into the same yeah. funhouse. Mm-hmm. Now, if you recall, and I know you do, when we saw in the opening sequence, there was a wax statue of James Bond yes. that Scaramanga shot the fingers off yes. of. When I saw that wax statue in the beginning, I said, right. that's going to be a yeah. plot point later on. Sure enough, it does. Because Bond right. loses his gun. But he does actually a clever thing in that he goes off the grid, he goes into the, the floorboard. Right, he's climbing around on the scaffolding. Yeah underneath and around this big funhouse set, but he loses his gun. However, Scaramanga has his gun, and he's wandering around. Then all of a sudden, he comes across the statue of Bond. But it's not a wax statue. It's the real James Bond. Now, let me ask you something. Bond's lost his gun, right? Right. So Bond presumably used the gun that was in the wax statue's hand. Mm -hmm. Why would Scaramanga have the wax statue's gun loaded with real bullets? Because he's crazy. Okay. And, of course, it's a way to get Bond right. into a tuxedo for the first time in the movie. The prerequisite James Bond uniform. Mm-hmm. So he kills Scaramanga with one shot to the forehead. Right. But now he's got to get the Solix agitator back. Right. Oh, God. Go ahead. I'll let you tell this scene. So he goes to <laughs> Goodnight, who, by the way, I guess Scaramanga had the idea of making her the next Andrea. 
I guess because so, yeah. he's got her wandering around the compound in a rather fetching aqua and purple bikini. Oh, this is nice, yeah. She looked nice enough for Mr. Locke. Oh, yeah, Mr. Locke is only checking her. He's got to go get the agitator. And the first thing she does earlier on while he's doing the little duel is she subdues Mr. Locke by throwing him into the cooling element. The liquid <laughs> nitrogen. <laughs> which Bond tells her, since you pushed him in there, that raised the temperature, the temperature of the cooling. Which cooler. means that it's going to cause some problems. It's going to blow up. <laughs> right. And so he climbs down into the guts of this laser cannon. Uh-huh. Good Lord. To recover the solar agitator that's under a plexiglass. And there's Goodnight standing over the big hole where the guts are, looking down the button. She's she's looking down further and further and further, and you can see this because Guy Hamilton plays this moment for all it's worth. He cuts cutting to Brett Eklund's ass Mm -hmm. as he gets closer and closer to the firing mechanism. To the firing button. And she bumps it with her ass, and it Apparently it's a really sensitive button, because next thing you know, out comes the solar element. There's a laser beam comes right down where yeah. Roger Moore is at. And, and he's like, off. good night, did you touch anything? She says, no, no, I didn't touch anything. Just then a cloud comes across yeah. and cuts off the solar power. He's so like, good night, I need you to press the computer interlock button. Can you do that? The what button? And she's a total moron. Although... Apparently, James Bond has been doing his reading about stuff like yeah. this since he knows there's an interlock button you're supposed yeah. to press to shut the thing off. And she's like, I, I can't find it. I can't. God, what a fucking moron you are. Eventually, she's like, press every fucking button. Yeah, up yeah there. right. And he, he gets so pissed with her. And you can see Roger Moore, he looks like he's really mad at her as an actress, not just yeah. as a character. He said, just press every damn thing. So that's when the cloud comes across and right. he thinks that she shut it off. Right. But she has it. But he still manages to avoid the beam. He right. gets the solar agitator. The complex like blows up. up. They escape on Scaramanga's junk. Mitnack is on the bottom. Oh, God. Now, here's, remember how I said for 90% of the film, Herbie Vilishes is a genuinely creepy presence? Not now. Not now. I okay. kill you! I kill you! He's reduced to being a cartoon character. He's freaking Bugs Bunny. He, I kill you! He's throwing bottles at yeah. Bond, and Bond puts him in a suitcase. suitcase. And instead of throwing his little monkey ass off the side of the and boat... in fact, there's actually a moment where, where Goodnight says, What did you do to him? What do you think I did? Yeah, and, and she did, and he, his look at her face like, Oh, James, you did it. And you think he's throwing him off yeah. the ship, which is what I would have done, but he's tied him up in the riggings yeah. of the mask. Why? So he can get loose and come back and kill you again? Uh. Then we have the forgettable theme song, Some by Lulu of right. all people come up, and we're promised that James Bond is going Better to return, return in The Spy Who Loved Love me. me. That's the end of the movie. And it, this one is... Not good at all. No, it's not. It is so not good. It's not. And it is really indicative of how bad the next ten plus years are going to be. To me, it's kind of bad when you have a bad guy whose method of operating is more interesting than James Bond. I found myself wanting to learn more about how Scaramanga operates. One of the biggest problems with this film, though, is that it suffers from ADD. Mm-hmm. It really does, because it's like, okay, here's 20 minutes where, okay, here's the r- r- plot. No, wait, no, wait, not that plot. This is the real plot. Yeah. No, no, here's the real, no, real this plot. this is the real, real plot. It goes from Scaramanga trying to kill James Bond to Andrea sending the bullet, and she right. wants James Bond to kill Scaramanga, and then it goes to the Solix Agitator. got the yeah. impression that Mankiewicz forgot why Scaramanga really wanted the Solar Agitator, which is why, of course, they go with, I just built a big gun. What is he going to do, blow up rocks on his island? Exactly. That's like me building a nuclear reactor in my basement. Yes. What am I going to do with it? Yeah, I could do it, now, but why? To be fair, <coughs> luckily, the next film is arguably the best film 
more does. Yeah. But yeah. it would be a toss-up between this and uh, Fear Eyes Only. But this one is... It's not the worst one. No, it's not. it's not. In fact, <laughs> in fact, it's compared <laughs> to the other two ones that we consider. This is a downright classic compared to some of the other ones that yeah. we're going to talk about. But this one, I'll say it's watchable. I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it, but if it comes on TV, like on TNT, yeah, I'll watch it, but I wouldn't drag out my DVD copy of it and say, oh, I can't wait to see the man with the golden well, gun I gotta again. admit, usually I watch these things over again once a day or two before the press. Right. I watch this a second time because I wanted to be sure that I saw what I saw in this movie. So I'm sitting there going, like, this is so stupid. No, yeah. this can't be what really happened. It's watchable, let me put mm-hmm. it that way. Not it, like it, what we're about to come up with. We're warning you now, some of the ones that we're coming up against in the next two, three episodes... We're in dark, dark territory. It never gets darker. <laughs> yeah. I should just say that while I respect the fact that as a whole generation grew up with Roger Moore right. as James Bond, he's not my favorite James Bond, so you guys are going to be hearing some very hard yeah, criticism from me about James Bond. I guess the reason I consider more my least favorite of the Bonds, and the reason I get actively angry at him, is that as we're going to see in the next two episodes, the case of The Spy Who Loved Me and For Your Eyes Only, when given a script, and when given a director, a, a motivation yeah. to stay on point. When he had a director too, that made him say, "Go follow." Yeah, Moore is a terrific James Bond. He is, he but is. he's too lazy an actor, so that the majority of mm. times he just goes for the quip, and then nobody's going to believe this. And yeah, the Tarzan yeah. yells, and and I hear people all the time say, "Oh yeah, well I love his one liners. Oh they're so funny." I said, "You think that's yeah. funny?" I'm really honestly surprised when people say, oh yeah, he was very funny. No, he wasn't. There's nothing worse than somebody who thinks they're funny and continually wants to inflict it upon you. To me, that's what Roger Moore did. A lot of times, his one-liners were not funny. Mm. They, if anything, they were cringe-inducing. I said, oh my God, why do you have to say that? Because okay. a lot of times, it spoils the scene for me. Not like Sean Connery or Pierce Brosnan. As much as I dislike uh, the Pierce Brosnan films as a whole, mm. Brosnan knew the right way to yeah, right. get a joke across. Like Connery did. You know, He just didn't do it just because he wanted to prove how funny he could be. In a movie like Octopussy, for your eyes only, or, you know, but Octopussy, uh, even Octopussy me. has those moments. And I think part of it is because most of his films are done by Guy Hamilton. And Guy Hamilton just loves the slapstick. Yeah, well, he let him do what he wanted to do. Pretty much let more say, well, whatever you want And, to and I'll are, film it. I'll there shoot are it. times in a Guy Hamilton film where Hamilton will stop. What we just talked about with Man with the Golden Gun with Pepper. Mm-hmm. Where Hamilton stops the film dead. Just for the sake just of for the a sake comedy of, scene. Of, of a bad comedy. Right. If it was good comedy, mm-hmm. I would say, okay, fine. But it's not even good comedy. We should be thinking about wrapping up this yes, episode. Let me ask you. These are I, both seriously in, goofy films. In terms of where would you place them in the James Bond camp? Um, Live and Let Die is actually, despite its total and thorough goofiness, is actually very entertaining. I concur. For what it is. Yeah. I would probably put it solidly in the middle. Nowhere near the Connery Bonds, but it's okay for what it is. It is. It's okay as his... Probably like right up on that edge. The trilogy we mentioned, the three uh, more films that we mentioned previously. Right. Spy, Eyes, and And Octopussy. Those are his three best films. Right. Live and Let Die is probably right underneath Yeah, I concur. I put it right there too. But Man with the Golden Gun is the opposite of that. It's on the top tier of the worst not as bad as A View to a Kill. <laughs> Not as bad as Moonraker. Not as bad as Moonraker. Actually, Moonraker has a great Bond girl. 
does the lowest it, yeah, challenge. Lowest challenge. And even though we agree that the Tanya Roberts character is god awful, oh. she is no good night. Good night is in a yeah, class yeah. all by herself I mean, in terms of her sheer dreadfulness. Yeah, that was a nadir for Bond girls. We have one really bad film to talk about in the next segment. Yeah. But we have one of the best to talk about before then. Including, of course, we get to talk a little bit about one of my favorites. Who's that? Carolyn Monroe. Oh, Carolyn Monroe. Oh, of course. You know, people tend to forget she's in that one because she's only in it for like a But it's a memorable moment. So, Tom, take us into the administrative Okay, guys. If you're looking to contact us, tell us you like us, you hate us, you think that Roger Moore is the greatest Bond that ever lived. Or send us money. In which case, you're stupid. You can send us an email to better... No, they're stupid. They're, no, they're, they're mis- stupid. They're misguided, Tom. You can't call the audience They're misguidedly stupid. stupid. You can't call the audience stupid. They'll stop listening to you. They're misguidedly stupid. They won't stop listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, you can go to us at betterinthedark <laughs> at gmail.com. That's better the letter and the dark at gmail.com. You could also leave a message on our um, Podomatic page, which is betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Or... And the best choice, and we know that a lot of people don't care for this, but still, we have fun on it, is the Yahoo mailing group, which is at movies.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash better in the dark. And until next time, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what sort of martini you prefer, and no matter what your designation is in Universal Exports, go see that movie. Good night. Take care. God bless. Good morning. How's the water? Why don't you come in and find out? Sounds very tempting, Miss... uh... To me. Really? Well, there's only one small problem. I have no swimming trunks. Neither have I. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Ian and Adon at For Your Ears Only, Michael Bailey from Views from the Long Box, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash better in the dark better in the dark can empirically deny that all black people hate james bond but somehow barbara Bacoli and michael g wilson won't believe us older episodes of the show are archived at bitd.lipson.com send all comments praise hate mail and pipe bombs to better in the dark at gmail.com that's better the letter n the dark at gmail.com interact with the hosts and the fans of this podcast at the better in the dark message board at better in the dark.proboards105.com Please vote for us at Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All materials copyrighted. Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that you should always have a clear idea what your super weapon is for before you spend millions constructing the secret base to support it. <laughs>